good morning, Journey. Hey, so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, I want you to pull it out or fire up your app, take out your notes so that you can follow along today. We're in week three of a series that we're calling Death by Distraction. Death by Distraction. You say, Christian, what does that mean? You heard Danielle just a few minutes ago uh, mention our mission, our goal as a church, to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. When we talk to people in our church, the Christians in our church, about why they aren't pursuing Jesus passionately, their answer nine times out of 10 is this, I don't have time. There's just too much going on. We rarely hear, I don't want to, it's not important to me, I don't feel bad about it. We often hear, I'm just really, really busy. So we're hoping as a church, if we can learn to clear some distractions in life, we can open up a pathway so that people can pursue Jesus passionately. And as we jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we learn a little bit of how to do that. Now, let me give you just a synopsis of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because it's kind of a cool book about a cool church. So it was written to the church of Thessalonica, one of the largest cities in the ancient world, a city of 200,000 people that was named after the sister of Alexander the Great. So it was an important city, uh, both globally um, and locally. It was just a big city where a lot of important things happened. Paul went there and he started a church. The second New Testament letter written by Paul in AD 50, AD 51 from Corinth was this letter. Uh, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. This was number two. Galatians was number one. First Thessalonians was the second letter that he wrote. And he wrote it to a church who had posted Baal in order to practice Christianity. It's the only church that we read about in Acts that actually had to post Baal, put up security in order to have church. In Acts 17, 6, we read that the uproar caused by Christianity in Thessalonica caused the city rulers to pull some people out of the house of a man named Jason. And their comment was, y'all have turned the world upside down. You've caused an uproar in the city. You have to stop it. They beat them, and then they made them post bail in order to practice church in a way that wouldn't really disturb the city anymore. And they actually paid it. So Paul ends up writing this book to them, this letter to help the people of this church be both good Christians and good citizens of their community. So he talks a lot about what it should look like to follow Jesus passionately and what the community should see as we follow people passionately. But as we get to the very end, he gives the church at Thessalonica and us today just a look at what a healthy life looks like spiritually. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1, read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verse 9. Here's what Paul says. As for other matters, if you want to circle those words, I'll give a summary of that in just a minute what those other matters were. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So now we're learning how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, he says. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He then goes on to talk a little bit about sexual immorality. I'm going to jump to verse 9 because it applies to our series today. He said, now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. If you have a pen, I want you to go back up to verse 11 and I want you to circle the word ambition. Paul says, make it your ambition. 
You know, when we study that word ambition in the Greek, here's what that word ambition meant when we find it written into Greek history. Ambition means the attempt to garner civic honor and recognition through public generosity of the wealthy. Here's what ambition was. Ambition was your name on a building. Ambition was the library dedicated to you. Ambition was your reputation. Ambition was your legacy. So Paul said, I want you to make it kind of your life's goal. I I want you to think about how you want to be remembered. I want you to think about how you want to be known. I want you to think about what people think about when they look at your life. I want you to make it your ambition. Have a goal for your life. Hey, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want 2018 to be remembered for? Have you you set your ambitions or your goals for 2018 yet? Uh, Because in our church last year, we challenged our church last January. We're going to do it again this January. We challenged our church to think on 2017 last year and to give the word, the, the year 2017, one word. We said, we want you to come up with one word that we want to describe your spiritual journey in 2017. And a lot of people came up with what we called our JCI one word. And they posted them on our Facebook and we collected hundreds of words that people said, I want my year, the ambition of my year, I want to look like this. My word last year was anticipation. It was my goal last year to quit living in anxiety, hoping God would do things and to start living in anticipation, believing that God would do things. Actually, in our ministry report that comes out today, I talk about how God did even more than I anticipated, and I anticipated more than I had ever anticipated before in my life. I chose to live in faith over fear, and I wear this bracelet to this day. That was my word last year. My word for this year, I talk about on our podcast this week. For those of you who are pretty brand new to Journey, you might not even know, during our small group semester, we have a midweek podcast. For those of you like me who grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, our podcast is kind of like our Wednesday night service. We don't have one of those, but we believe people should stop and reflect spiritually at least once a week. So we record like a 20-minute podcast that basically talks about the message and goes a little deeper to help us just apply the truths that we've learned. This week, I talk about my word for 2018 and my ambition spiritually for 2018. I hope you'll think about that and find a word. But Paul gives us one to think about. Paul said, hey, here's something to make your ambition. Maybe your translation says aspire to. Paul said, here's a thing to make a goal in your life. In verse 11, he says, why don't you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life? Why don't you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life? In the Greek language, the word that Paul uses is the word hesychazo. And here's what that word means when we find this word written into Greek literature in the ancient world. It's a state of inner silence an inner peace accomplished through outward stillness. Paul said, if you have a building dedicated to you, here's what people should know. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what people should know about you. Here should be your ambition. Here should be your reputation. Here should be your legacy. Here should be what your name is associated with. This, inter, this inner stillness and this inner peace that comes from learning how to quiet the outward craziness in your life. Paul says, if you're a Christian, this is what people should know about you. Would any of you say that's your reputation? That the word association game with your name is somebody who has so much inner stillness and so much inner peace because they have learned to control kind of the outward chaos of their life. As we get into week three of death by distraction, Paul said, I want you to have an ambition for stillness. 
I want you to have a stillness ambition as you live your life. And then he goes and shows us how to do that through this text and really through the book. He said, Christian, how do I have a stillness ambition? How can I this year make it my goal? How can I this year have the reputation of being at peace inwardly because I have figured out the chaos outwardly? Well, Paul's going to tell us two things to help us do that. Number one, Paul's going to tell this church in Thessalonica, you need to learn how to live in the mission without being controlled by the mess. You need to learn in life how to live in the mission of life that God's called you to without being controlled by the mess that the world has. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Live in the mission. You're on mission in your community. Paul says, make it your ambition, your reputation, your legacy to lead a quiet life, to be at peace, to be still. You should mind your own business And work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you won't be dependent upon anybody. So what was the problem here in Thessalonica? Remember, they had to post bail in order to have church. So what was one of the big problems? As we go back and study the first four chapters of this book, here's what had happened. Paul goes into this city of 200,000 people. He tells them about Jesus. A lot of people turn from their past to a future with Jesus. And then Paul starts talking about the second coming. If you follow Jesus, he's going to come again and he's going to receive you so that you might be with him. And they got so excited about the second coming that they all quit their jobs. That's what we learn about the church in Thessalonica. They said, man, this Jesus stuff is so cool. And because he's coming back, we don't have to work. We don't have to serve. We don't have to be productive members of society. Like we just want to pray all day and read our Bibles all day. And and like we just want to have church all day, every day, which led to the uproar in this city. Why? Because people were losing workers. Employers quit on their employment, which, which meant their employees had no way to make money. They caused this uproar because they miss what it looked like to be a productive Christian in society. And and here's what I would say to that. I get it. Like, I get it. If you're like me and you've ever been on a mission trip, on the last day of the mission trip, when you've been in some foreign country where your phone doesn't work, where you can't get your email, where you can't get text, where you're not taking your kids to practice, where you don't have school and all the things associated with it, when you're actually taking time off work, when you board the plane and go through customs coming back from an Africa or an India or Guatemala or Nicaragua, you always have this thought, man, do I have to go back? Like, do I have to go back to the mess in the chaos that is my life because I'm able to stay closer to Jesus. I'm able to feel closer to Jesus here. And this was the problem of the the Thessalonians. They said, man, we can either follow Jesus by quitting everything else in life or we can like keep living our life, but that doesn't leave room for Jesus. And Paul said, you have to do both. Like you have to bring Jesus into your daily life because the mission of the church is to serve this city, to love this city, to reach this city. So, you know, you're not supposed to be of the world, but you certainly have to be in it. And sometimes it's easier to follow Jesus and focus on him when you don't have the realities of everyday life around you. That's why kids get so close to God at youth camp because their old life's not there. That's why adults get so close to God on mission trips because their world isn't there. But then we come back and all of a sudden we're controlled by the mess again. Paul said you need to learn to live in the mission without being controlled by the mess. But here's one thing we have to understand in that. A life on mission spiritually is really healthy. But a life on every mission will never accomplish any mission. And that's the problem that most of the people in our church have when it comes to following Jesus and being on mission. They've already joined three other missions. They're already a room parent. They're already a coach. 
They already have a business on the side outside of their job. They're already in a running club. They already have friends. They already have all this stuff going on. And basically, they can't be on mission, not because they're lazy, but because they're on too many missions, and they can't complete any of them. So Paul says, listen, this is, this is interesting how it works, but we have to have this stillness ambition so that we can pursue the most important missions first. This is where death by distraction comes into play. We talk about having a stillness ambition to leave room for Jesus, and most people think, I don't know how I'll have time to do that. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus sails across the Sea of Galilee from his kind of ministry hometown of Capernaum to a region called the region of the Gadarenes. And when he gets to the region of the Gadarenes in Luke chapter 8, there's a man who's been possessed by an evil spirit that literally the town lives in fear of. This guy is such a nuisance to the town that they've kicked him out of the town, and he's so dangerous to the town that they have chained him up in a cemetery. He literally lives in a cemetery, which means he would have been chained to a wall of a cave. They wouldn't have had cemeteries with headstones like we have. They would have buried people in caves in the side of a mountain. He was chained to the side of this mountain. They would not let their kids walk home from school that way because this guy was dangerous. So Jesus gets off the boat, and he's the first guy that confronts Jesus. He's yelling all kinds of crazy things. Jesus realizes that he's demon-possessed, that he's spiritually oppressed. And Jesus commands the demons to come out of this man. And the demons answer Jesus and say, okay, we will, but please don't send us into the abyss. Please don't send us into the end times punishment of those who have chosen to be separated from God. They said, instead, send us into the herd of pigs that's on the side of the hill. And Jesus is like, whatever, just get out of him. So they go into the pigs. Pigs rush down the side of the hill into the Sea of Galilee and die. 2,000 pigs, it would have been a massive loss financially for somebody. But the guy was okay. And they go into the town and start telling people, hey, the guy in chains, he's okay. But the pigs like all ran into the lake. And it says in Luke 8, 35, here's the reaction of the community. It says the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, but they were afraid, afraid. Like they'd been afraid of this guy all their lives, but now he was okay, but they were afraid. Why? Because they were asking the wrong question. You see, when I begin to talk to people in our church about a stillness ambition, people look at the wrong things first and their question sounds like this. Here's the wrong question to ask when we look at having a stillness ambition in our life. What about the pigs? That's what most people focus on. Well, what about the pigs? When I start talking to people about how full they can be of Jesus, how at peace they can be with Jesus, when I start talking to people about the stillness that they can have in their soul, instead of focusing on the stillness of their soul, they focus on what has to go in order to get that. And they say, well, what about the pigs? Like, what about the, the sports? What about the school? What about my work? What about my friends? What about my hobbies? What about my activities? On and on and on. And they ask the wrong question first. Well, what about the pigs? Well, what are we going to do with all those instead of asking the right question, which is what about the man? I mean, we see this man here that looks a lot like Mary in the first week of this series. Mary and her sister Martha. Remember, Mary had it right. Why? Because she was still at the feet of Jesus. What do we see in Luke chapter 8? We see a man still at the feet of Jesus. And instead of being motivated to look like him, we begin asking about the pigs. Well, you know, instead of saying, how do I look like him? I begin to ask, well, what am I going to do with the mess? And here's the reality. Here's the key thought of having a stillness ambition. If we have a goal of inner silence and inner peace, and listen, I think everyone does. I haven't met one person that says, I want to live in turmoil inside my soul for the rest of my life. 
I haven't met one person that says, I like the tension that comes from anxiety. I like my depression medication. I've never met anyone who, who doesn't say, I want inner silence. I want inner peace. I've never met anyone that doesn't say that. But if we have a goal of that through outward stillness at the feet of Jesus, we have to address the mess. Like we've got to finally address the mess. We've got to look at the pigs and figure out how to sort through those. And we can't just think about it. We can't just know it. We can't just talk about it. We actually have to do something about it. You say, how do I do this? Christian, where do I start to address the mess? Well, you look at what the Apostle Paul says. Number two, you learn what needs to grow so you can learn what needs to go. You know, a lot of times you don't have to focus on the mess to figure out what's messy. You can focus on the priorities and the mess kind of settles to the bottom. I mean, if you focus on what God has called you to, everything else kind of settles to the bottom. So you don't have to look at what two or three things shouldn't I do this year. Instead, ask yourself this question. What two or three things should I do this year? And everything else will kind of settle to the bottom, and then you can figure out how to address the mess. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says it's very clear. The instructions for how you're supposed to live spiritually to sit at the feet of Jesus is very, very clear. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, just do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus. Paul says, listen, you can know. You can know through study of God's word what your spiritual priorities are. And if you will start with those, the mess will kind of settle to the bottom if we start with the man instead of the pigs, we'll, we'll paint a picture of a really full, really fulfilled life. And then we just have to figure out how do we address the things that have settled to the bottom that get in the way of that. You see, if you're a Christian, you know your priority spiritual responsibilities through the instruction of God's word. If you're in here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to kind of zone in on these next few things. Because if you're in here today and you're not a Christian, and I don't know you personally, but I talk to a lot of people who are around church but not Christians, one of the primary reasons people are kind of holding out is because they know a Christian who has no spiritual priorities. And because of the hypocrisy, they think, if that's Christianity, I don't want to do that. So let me show you healthy Christianity. Let me show you what Christianity is supposed to look like. Let me show you what if you follow Jesus with your whole heart, your life should look like if you follow the instructions because the spiritual responsibilities are pretty easy to see. And when we look at our spiritual responsibilities in 2018, our goal has to be to grow these things. How do we address the mess? First, look at the responsibilities that have to take priority. If you are a Christian, here are your seven priorities. There's no buts about it. These are them if you're a Christian. Number one, your relationship with Jesus has to come first. Matthew 6.33 says, seek him first. It allows everything else to follow after well. If you're a Christian, your priority responsibility, number one, is your relationship with Jesus. Number two, believe it or not, is your physical and your emotional health. You say, no way, Christian. Yeah, way. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says your body's a temple. Like God lives in you. You need to take care of your body so you can take care of everything else. In 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul actually told Timothy, listen, physical training has some value. Do it. Why? Because of this. If you spend every day of your life with Jesus but have a heart attack, you can't do the, the next three through seven. So there's something in scripture that says take care of yourself. That's a priority responsibility for you. 
Your third, if you're married, is your relationship with your spouse. In Song of Songs 5.16, Solomon called his spouse his lover and his friend. This passionate friendship that grows between two people who are married. Your fourth spiritual responsibility, if you're a parent, is your relationship and your responsibility with your children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, grow up your children in the knowledge of the Lord. Listen, we can't make our kids love Jesus, but we can help them know him. And then they can decide. So it's our goal to help our kids know who Jesus is. Your fifth spiritual responsibility, believe it or not, is your best effort and the best results in your job. And if you don't believe me, ask any employer about somebody who works for them. Their best employee, when their marriage falls apart, is no longer their best employee. Their most productive worker, when their kids go off the rails, is no longer their most productive worker. So you can see why God sets the spiritual kind of priorities that he does and why work comes number five, but work is important. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever your job is, work like you're working for the Lord. He's the only master worth serving with your best effort, trying to get your best results. Number six then becomes your service to and reliance upon spiritual community. Hebrews 10.25 says, as you work hard to be healthy in your family and healthy in the community, don't forget about meeting with one another to help each other. I have a lot of people with small groups start, they say, I'm not going to be in a small group this semester. And I say, why? And they say, I don't need one. And my first thought is, that's selfish. Because if you don't need one, what you're telling me is you're in the position now to help somebody else. You don't need one, but somebody needs you. So we put ourselves in spiritual community as a priority responsibility. And then number seven, believe it or not, God wants you to have hobbies that bring enjoyment to your life. In Ecclesiastes 8.15, Solomon said, there's nothing better once you've figured out your priorities than to eat and to drink and enjoy life with your family and friends. We have hobbies that bring enjoyment to life. And here's the reality of these seven areas. These seven areas, if you accomplish them, they don't just lead to a life that's full They lead to a life that's fulfilled. I mean, you talk to somebody who has these priority responsibilities in their life in order, and you're going to talk to somebody who's happy. You're going to talk to somebody who has joy. You're going to talk to someone who has some inner peace and some inner stillness in their life because they have learned to control through prioritization the outward chaos. So look at these areas for a minute. How would you grade yourself on each of these? It's going to be one of your steps this week of spiritual challenge. How would you grade yourself on all these areas? Would you get A's in any of them? A pluses in any of them? Would you get C's in any of them? See, I'm probably just probably average in those categories. Would you get F's? Are there any areas of those seven spiritual priorities where you would get an F? Because looking backwards can tell us what to address, but looking forward tells us what needs to grow. Because when we figure out what needs to grow, we can figure out what needs to go. So Christian, how do I do that? If I have some A's, some B's, some C's, some F's, how do do I address the mess if my priority responsibilities are not in order? Well, Jesus teaches us that in John chapter 15. In just two simple verses, Jesus teaches us a little bit about time management when it comes to spiritual priorities, and it's awesome. Here's what Jesus says, talking to his disciples in the last hours of his life before his crucifixion. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You say, how do I get to the place where I can put first things first? Well, you, you learn what needs to grow 
so you can then learn what needs to go. How does that work? Well, you look at your spiritual restrictions. We have our spiritual responsibilities. Those need to grow this year. You look at your spiritual restrictions, those things that are keeping one through seven from being A's, those things you need to let go of this year. How do I do that? They probably fall in three areas. Number one, things you need to cut off. You need to cut off what negatively affects your key responsibilities. Really, you don't need a church or a pastor to tell you what these are. You say, how do I know what impacts negatively my key responsibilities? Here's the question. Listen, you don't have to write this down. You'll remember. How do I know what's negatively impacting my key responsibilities? Ask your wife and kids if you're a husband. Ask your husband and your kids if you're a wife. If you're a single adult, ask your parents or ask a Christian that you're real close to because everyone else sees what negatively impacts you really more than you do. And your kids especially can tell you pretty quickly, hey, what keeps me from doing these seven things well? Just let somebody speak into it. And then cut those things off. I think that's the easiest area. I think number two is the most difficult area but I think it's the one that holds the most promise for everyone sitting in this room today. You don't cut off, but you learn to cut back the key responsibilities that take all of your time. You say, what do you mean? Don't cut them off, but you need to cut back key responsibilities because I believe a lot of people don't fulfill all seven key responsibilities because they fulfill one or two too much. Say, what do you mean by that? Let's just do a little exercise, okay? Let's look at number one, my relationship with Jesus. Say, Christian, I didn't miss a day last year reading my Bible. My relationship with Jesus was awesome. Great. Number two, my physical and emotional health. Christian, I didn't work out one day last year. Okay. What if you spent a little less time with Jesus so you could spend a little more time working out and staying healthy? Like, do you think that would extend your life and allow you to live on mission a little bit better, a little bit healthier? I do. Let's just flip those. Say, Christian, I worked out every day last year. I am like at my physical peak. Awesome, but I didn't read my Bible one time. Okay, that's not, that, like, that's not good enough. That's not balanced. What if instead of working out six days a week, you worked out four days a week and you took two days to really pour into your soul spiritually by spending time with Jesus? You see, you don't cut off one of your key responsibilities, but you trim it back a little bit so you have time for other responsibilities. Let's look at number three. Christian, my relationship with my spouse is at an all-time high. We spent great time together last year. Great. But I never really spent any time with my children. Or we can flip it around. Probably it's more appropriate to flip it around in our context, in our congregation. Christian, I can't even count the number of hours I spent on my children last year. Pouring into my children. um, Carting around my children. Coaching my children. Spending time with my children. I give myself an A plus on my time with my kids, but I did not go on one date with my spouse. Okay, don't cut off your kids, but maybe a little less time with kids so you can spend a little more time with your spouse. Like I'd rather have like two B's than an A and an F. I had a family member years ago that I did student ministry with who literally they lived for their children. And because of that, they had no time with Jesus. And they got convicted because they didn't spend time with Jesus. So here was their thing. They said, I spend so much time just waiting on my kids, right? Like when my kids have a game, we get there 90 minutes early and I just sit in the car waiting. Um, Then I go watch them play and then I come back and wait another 30 minutes. So they took their Bible and their Bible reading plan and they kept it in their car with them. And they said, every time I waited in the car line, every time I waited before practice, every time I waited after practice, I just read through my Bible reading plan and I read through my Bible in six months. That's how much time I spent just waiting on my kids. And instead of spending it on Facebook, I just got real intentional. Instead of reading the news, I just started reading my Bible. And in six months, I got through the entire thing. I'm not cutting my kids out. I'm just making sure to include all my key 
responsibilities. We have a family in our church sitting right over here that posted on Facebook last week that because of this no distractions challenge, they're having their first season ever of no soccer. They're a family that has done soccer literally every season of their life. And they said, as we look at everything else that's important, we're pulling back. We're not cutting it off. We'll play again in the future, but we're going to take a whole season off just to kind of reset some things. Not cutting off, cutting back. So we see that we cut back on some key responsibilities that I give all my time to because one out of seven, I don't know if you've done the math on that, that's failing the test. So I get an A plus in this area. Listen, you'd rather have five C's than one A and six F's. So you cut back. Why? Because number three, it ends up creating intentional room for your key responsibilities to bloom and to bear fruit. It ends up creating this intentional room for everything that God wants you to have in life to live at its fullest and to bear fruit at its fullest. And here's what I believe that can look like. I'm not a gardener. Um, I would rather pay someone to do my landscaping than to do it. I like mowing the yard, but I'm not good with all the mulch and trees and flowers and all that stuff. But the other year, um, we, we had a new tree planted um, by the side of our house. It's this beautiful tree that in the spring kind of grows leaves and then it has like beautiful flowers on it. And then it kind of gets green for the rest of the years. And in the fall, I went out to just kind of clean it up. Not that I knew what I was doing, but it just looked ugly because all kinds of branches were starting to grow out of the bottom of it. So it was like our kind of landscaping cleanup day. And I went and basically from ground level to about two feet up, I just cut every branch that was growing in the wrong direction. I just kind of trimmed them all. Just a bunch of little branches that I cut about two feet up just to clean it up so it would look better. I wasn't trying to do anything from like a planting perspective. I just wanted to clean it up because it looked bad. And when I came out of my house the next day, within 24 hours, the tree had bloomed again. Like I walked out and it had flowers on it again. And I called my landscaping guy. And I said, my tree bloomed twice this year. I didn't know that could happen. And he laughed and he said, Christian, that didn't happen. That tree doesn't bloom twice. He said, what happened is the first time, it probably only bloomed about 50%. But once you cleaned up all the junk everything got to the 50% that didn't bloom and it was able to bloom too. It only bloomed once, but the first time you only got half of what it could do because there was too much garbage kind of sucking nutrients from the soil. What would happen to your life if you cleaned up the mess at the bottom? You say, Christian, man, my relationship with Jesus is good, but what if it's only operating at 50%? Say, Christian, my marriage is great, but what if it's only blooming at 50%? You say, man, my my relationship with my kids is really good, but what if it could be twice as good? What if you could have twice as much fruit with your children and so on and so forth? You see, when we address the mess and we begin to let go and prune back things so that what's most important can grow, we experience a life that's not just full, but that's very fulfilling. A few years ago, I, I was introduced both to this text And these responsibilities by a mentor of mine, his name was Jimmy Dodd. He said, Christian, I want you to line your life up doing these seven things. And he told me to go away, work on it for two weeks and come back. And I came back and I said, like, I can't do it. Like, I just, my life is too busy. He said, let me see your calendar. So I opened up my laptop and opened my calendar on my laptop and turned it and faced, faced him. And it, you know, it was filled with colors and appointments and all this stuff. He said, wow, you are busy. He said, you know how all that stuff got on your calendar? And I said, no. He said, you put it there. You put it there. He said, Christian, you're in control. You're in control. You have the instruction. 
The question is, what type of fruit do you want to bear? In your life, in your marriage, with your kids, Christian, you're in control and you have the instructions. What type of fruit do you want to bear? You know what type of fruit I want to bear this year? I want to have a stillness ambition. I want to make it a goal this year to have more peace, more stillness. I want to make it a goal this year for the most important things to grow. And for that to happen, some things might have to go or be cut back a little bit. But I'm okay with that if God will give me a life that is full and fulfilling. And I want to challenge you to come on that journey with me. This week, your No Distractions Challenge looks like this. We're giving you one every week in this series. Depart daily. Here's the first thing I want you to do this week. I want you to grade your seven key responsibilities every day this week. Take this list, put it somewhere, and before you go to bed every night, I just want you to check off. I did or I did not. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with spouse. Spend time with kids. Spend time working out. Just check it. I did or I did not. I want you at the end of the week to see if you're doing the things that you need to do to grow. I will this week with my accountability group. I have four elders that I'm in a group with. We have like an accountability triad. Tomorrow morning, I will list these seven areas. I'll give my 2017 grades for each and I'll send it to the three guys that I'm accountable to. And I'll say, guys, here's my 2017. What's yours? And then we'll hold each other accountable to try to do better. Maybe you can do that as well if you have someone in your life who will hold you accountable. Withdrawal weekly. I want you this week to try to plan a date with your spouse or a child or a friend. Say, Christian, oh, I don't have any time. Hey, hey let, me, let me say this. So Christian, I, I don't have any time on Tuesday. I got to run my kids to practice and I got to do this or that. Take one of your other kids with you. Drop off one of your kids at practice and then go grab Starbucks together. Go get some ice cream together. Just talk on the way there and on the way. Just be intentional. Just be intentional. Don't waste time. Grow the things that are most important. If you're married, plan a date with your spouse. If you have kids, plan a date with one of your kids. If you're single, get with one of your single friends this week and say, I just want to live in community that is healthy. Number three, quiet quarterly. I want you before the end of this month to choose your Sabbath weekend between now and Easter. The one weekend where you won't do practice, you won't do games, you won't do sports, you won't even do church. You're not going to do anything but just be together as a family. Go do something fun or stay home and do something fun. But I want you to look at that weekend and say, this weekend is going to be our weekend. And we're going to take it back from the world and protect it for our family. And then number four, I want to challenge you to abandon annually. I want you to make a plan by the end of this month to request time off for a week of focus on God and family before the end of January. Plan your vacation. The same family that said we're taking a week off of soccer said we are planning our first family vacation in years and it's not even to Branson. Uh, now, like I go to Branson every year, but a family vacation not to Branson sometimes could be better than a family vacation to Branson. So I was inspired reading this family that said, you know what, we're gonna put some of this stuff into practice. And you know what, the whole family's already excited about what is coming because they're not only gonna live a life that's full, but a life that is fulfilling. So Christian, why do we wanna do that? Because Paul challenged us to make it our ambition to make it our reputation, to make it our legacy, to lead a quiet life. So I want to challenge you this week, do these four things. I want to challenge you this week, maybe pick a word for 2018, share that with us at some point on one of our social media accounts, but choose this year to live intentionally, choose this year to live strong, choose this year to grow, and by choosing those things, everything else will settle. You can address that mess afterward, but ask the question about the man, how do I look like him? Not what about the pigs? We'll figure out them later. Start with the man. How do I look like him? Seated at peace in my right mind at the feet of Jesus. How do I look like that? Answer that question 
address the mess after that and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life this year. Will you pray with me?